0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Ship It and Sip It. I'm excited to bring two guests to the show this week, and they're both named Constantine. The first is my colleague and former office former office mate Constantine Karapin from Parallact. Thanks. and our guest joining from Germany is Konstantin Lader. He works with Trust Venture and is now one of the advisors on our accelerator program, helping our accelerator founders. Uh, figure out the financial aspects of their startup and maximize their potential for raising funds smartly and quickly. So, Constantine and Constantine, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, let's start off just a little bit with uh, Konstantin Lauder, your experience in the VC industry and in startups. Uh, how did you get into the field and what do you love about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you very much, John and Konstantin, for having me here today. Uh, really excited to talk to you guys. So I got into the, the startup ecosystem right after head School. Um, I started working um, in business development at a prop tech venture here in Cologne. And right after that, I got I did another internship with a leading German accelerator. And my job was there to connect startups with suitable investors. Um, and that's kind of my first touch point with venture capital there. I then started working with Trust Venture, and now my job is to advise ventures on raising venture capital and offering CFO as a service, meaning basically just offering all kind of operational support in all finance-related topics. Very
2: cool, very cool.
0: And Konstantin Karapin, uh, did you meet Constantine somewhere? Can you tell us a little bit about how we made this connection?
2: Yes uh, this year we, uh, we at Perleg we decided that we should uh, visit some conferences, IT conferences. So I was traveling in Europe I was visiting my cousin in Belgium and uh, saw this uh, conference uh, in Berlin. It was actually a Berlin conference. So I decided why shouldn't I go there and maybe meet some interesting people, founders, investors, different type of uh, experts in different fields and I was lucky to meet Constantine there. And uh, I was not even expecting that we would end up here having this conversation today. And I'm very, very excited and pleased uh, that you, Constantine, decided to like join us and uh, talk to us. Because I, I believe you have a lot of experience that uh, you are open to share mm-hmm. with founders, with us, like uh, uh, partners for a lot of founders. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining. Of course. So I did a little bit of digging on
0: Trust Venture, and on the site it says the goals of our cooperation with our clients are financial transparency, long-term increase of company values, and the creation of trust by reducing information uncertainties. That sounds ambitious and like a great mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, Konstantin, can you tell us a little bit about Trust Venture? What sort of your day-to-day is there?
1: Yeah, no, I'm happy to. Um, so my role at trust venture is that I'm a consultant and I work with various startups raising, uh, ranging from pre-seed ventures to series B plus ventures. And, um, we work with them basically offering CFO as a service. However, we do have a pretty strong focus on fundraising activities, some M A transactions, as well as investor relationship management, um, But besides that, our aim is to really be a long-term partner for our ventures and just basically being the go-to person for our clients regarding all finance-related topics.
0: Okay. Uh, So you mentioned that you range from pre-seed to series A, B startups. Uh, is that mostly focused on the German market, or are you guys uh, <laughs> EU wide, or do you expand to global startups?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like you said, we we usually start working with ventures when they, once they are aiming to raise their first VC money. Um, but like I said, we see ourselves as a long-term partner all the way to the exit. So mm-hmm. our our u- usually mandate ranges from okay, we are going to raise your first pre-seed round from from smaller VCs. All the way up until raising venture, uh, raising finance for for a Series B venture. And um, since we're based in Germany, most of our clients kind of naturally come from Germany, mainly Berlin and Cologne. Um, however, we also do have some international clients.
0: All right, uh, Constantine, you have a question about the differences in yeah. between yeah. Germany and EU and broader market. Yeah,
2: I, I actually wanted to ask, uh, since you already uh, mentioned that you work not only with European startups and investors, maybe you can see, maybe you can tell this difference uh, how they differ, these markets like uh, US market, European market and maybe some specific in German market. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: No, that's a great question. I mean, um, you know, the US market is just way bigger just because the US market is not as fragmented as maybe the European market. You know, when you look at European markets, You have, you know, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, whatever, all with different tax systems with different cultures. So you basically need a different go to market strategy for all types of different countries. You know, whether when you look at the US, you basically have a market size, even sometimes bigger than whole Europe. However, you do not have these cultural and legal differences so that you can basically just scale and roll out a lot faster. And even for investors, you know, the US market is just so much more attractive because you are able to just catch so much more of one market with basically one go to market strategy and um, just way quicker than, you know, trying to scale in Europe.
2: And do, do you manage to see any kind of examples when, for example, some uh, US based investors are investing into European products, startups and vice versa?
1: Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean, you usually a lot of um, US-based investors now kind of digging deep into the European ecosystem. You know, some major VCs opening offices here in, in Europe, whether that be in Berlin, London, um, Lisbon right now also also coming in hot. Um, but the same goes for the US. You know, all, all European VCs also also look for investments in the US. Um, however, that also differs from from industry to industry. You know, a great example is basically the fintech market, right? Rolling out a fintech in the US is just so much more simple just because of the legal structures there than just rolling out a fintech in, in Germany or in the Europe in general. Thanks.
0: All right. Uh, maybe we can dig into one specific side of this difference since it is your area of expertise. I wonder if you can elaborate on... Um, we're going to talk about financial planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Maybe there are some key differences that uh, European startup founders need to take into account if they are if they have the plan to go into the U.S. market, or vice versa, if there are startups from the U.S. that want to launch into the EU. Does that affect sort of? Their data rooms, their financial planning, any of the stuff that you specifically work with. Mm-hmm.
1: Not really. I mean, the the fundraising process for for a U.S. based venture is basically the same for a European venture. Regarding financial financial modeling, um, there's also not a lot of differences there. The only difference is basically in your in your market research, you know, kind of the the market data that you then use as assumptions in your financial model um, differs. But besides that, there are no major differences. So you can build the same financial model for a US-based company than you can base for a Germany company. Um, there are no differences there.
0: Okay. Well, let's dive into current market conditions a little bit because that was one of the reasons we wanted to have uh, more experts like yourself on the show to talk about the, the turmoil in the fundraising market, the venture winter, as some people call it, uh, do you think that VCs and investors are still eager to invest or is it affecting certain stages uh, differently? What's your take?
1: I mean, I would say that VCs are still eager to invest. Of course. I mean, you know, that's that's their job, basically. And what you're seeing right now is that even though the market conditions are in kind of slowing down right now, um, a lot of major VC funds, a lot of major investors have just recently raised new funds and that's all capital which has to be deployed within the next three to five years so um, you know there just has been a new peak regarding the dry powder dry powder meaning the capital which has been collected by investors however not yet deployed um just recently you know hit an all-time high and due to the fact that you know vc is such a long-term game you know these I want to say you know venture winter how how they like to call it and um, it's just part of the ride You know, and also these kind of winters usually breed some of the best companies. Um, You know, you can see that the kind of number of total incorporations definitely decreases. Um, However, the quality of these companies usually improves just because the burdens of founding and building a company during these times is a lot harder. But, you know, since, like I said, VC is just such a long term game. These investors, they do not look for, you know, buying low and selling high. Um, they rather, you know, always look for a certain type of company with a certain type of founding team and um, are willing to, res- to pay the respective market price regardless of kind of the whole economic situation.
0: All right. Um, let's dive in a little bit into the causes of this fluctuation or this downturn. Uh, what do you think are some of the main ones? And yeah, mm-hmm. take it from there.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I mean, great question. I mean, I think it's it's really important to to understand that you know the last couple of years we've just been in a unbelievable long kind of upwards spiral in the venture market, which was mainly driven through cheap capital. No, I, I wouldn't go as far as calling it a a venture crisis or a venture venture winter however more so of a kind of market correction back towards n- uh, normality um, you know the causes for for this correction are basically like an interaction of multiple macroeconomic factors you know such as interest rates rising different crises all over the world and just this overall un- uncertainty about the about the new future um, you know however you know I wouldn't go into into panic mode you know like I said a lot of major VCs just recently raised in new funds um, you know, which has to be invested in the next couple of years just because of the business model of a venture capital fund.
0: All right, so let's uh, dive into some takeaways for startups and founders. Uh, what can they do to come out of this ahead? As you mentioned, a lot of great companies have been founded in downturns. The last one mm-hmm. was examples like Airbnb and many other companies grew through the last crisis. Uh, what do you think founders should be doing in terms of just winning some of that venture capital that's floating around mm-hmm. and being able to grow their businesses mm-hmm. despite the market downturn? Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, there, there are a lot of things to, to take into consideration here. I mean, the first thing that is, I think, the most important one for, for founders to understand is that fundraising um, you know, just got a, uh, a lot harder and will take more time. You know, in in recent years um like i said we've just been in this huge upward spiral and investors were kind of more scared of missing a good investment rather than making a bad investment if if that makes sense um you know we can see that this mantra now kind of switches into a more cautious investment approach so investors will take more time doing their due, due diligence and will just be you know a lot of more more cautious during their investments um you know, founders definitely should prepare for that. And this is a mindset which won't change within the next couple of months. You know, we suggest our clients, our ventures to plan definitely more conservative and less capital intensive, you know, try to maximize your runway while minimizing your burn rate, and um, while still aiming to hit your milestones that you've set for the upcoming year or is, as well as your next funding round. Um, and that's what we also see see from VCs, you know, VCs talking to their portfolio companies asking for kind of adaption of the business plan towards a, you know, more maximization of the runway um, rather than that mantra growth at all costs, which has been definitely dominating the venture market for quite some years. Um, you know, that's kind of the, the first takeaway that that I would give from this. Um, you know, another thing is that you would definitely need to talk to your current investors and also get in contact with, you know, future investors so really um, invest into this relationship with the with the investors talk to them even when you're currently not actively looking for capital but just you know kind of let them know that you're here you know have update calls one or two months um, and just kind of let them know that you might be looking for investments you know six 12 months down the road and so that they just get kind of a feeling for the development of a company
2: and in respect of, uh, like, in these circumstances, changing circumstances that we all face right now, do you see any kind of maybe industries or domains that grab more attention from VCs right now?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 kind still kind of early to to talk about you know which industries are heavier um, you know heavier hits um, than others. Um, you know, I I would definitely say that kind of the the whole ecosystem around Web3 crypto has been hit hard, but just because this market is currently going through through a downturn itself. um, However, we do not see any specific industries um, currently suffering more than others. That's good. That's a big chance for anyone. (laughs) Yeah, of course, of course,
0: for sure. This just popped into my head. I've been seeing a little bit of chatter on on Twitter and LinkedIn and other places. Um, Some investors and founders are saying that there's sort of predatory uh, term conditions coming back into the game from early stage uh, VCs, things like uh, liquidity preferences and, and stuff like that, that they hadn't seen during the last boom of investing. Mm-hmm. Is that something that, that you've noticed at all in the European market?
1: Um, to be honest with you, not yet. I mean, you know, these these terms that have been outdated for quite a while have been outdated for some pretty big reasons. And so I don't see, you know, this kind of downturn that we're experiencing now for, for the last couple of months and, um, you know, changing kind of the whole term sheet, legal structure, bringing back, you know, all clauses um, so, with the funding rounds that, that we've been um, advising now the last couple of months, um, we didn't see any any changes in the term sheets in the term sheets, you know, making founders uh, you know suffer from that, or putting investors into a better position than founders, or even you know investors battling themselves for, for better clauses. Um, you know, we're we're not at that point right now. I don't think so.
0: Okay, uh, something to look out for, I guess, mm-hmm. though, for for new founders. Um, okay, let's stick with them for a minute. Uh, let's say we've got a founder who raised a good pre-seed or seed stage just right before the market started to, to turn down. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice can you give them in terms that you've already talked about extending burn rate as mm-hmm. far as possible, keeping the team as lean as possible? Are there any other um, moves they can make so that they're still appealing to their Series A VCs that they're targeting? Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like you said, the the first and still most important thing is that you just have to prepare for, you know, the much longer fundraising process. Um, However, the kind of points I talked about before, you know, getting in contact with VCs early is really, really a big key to your fundraising process, especially if you're looking to raise a Series A and already show some type of traction in your business model now when you get in touch with in investors long before you actively are looking to fundraise um, you know that you've already built a relationship there this makes then the initial contact when you actually want to raise um money extremely easy and the investor already has this kind of feeling for the development of your company you know it, it is always said that VCs invest in lines not dots and this basically basically means that the kind of investment probability is just significant, significantly higher if you already had you know several points of contact with the investor in the past, and he is thus able to understand the development of your company and where you're coming from. You know, this feeling does not exist when you're initially contacting an investor, you know, looking to raise money in two to three weeks and just setting out sending sending out a cold mail. Um, you know, besides that, when you're looking to raise a series A um it's kind of the first fundraising round where the vc will not solely invest in vision and team but already in some traction and metrics and kind of more quantitative factors you know when you raise a series a your product is most likely already live you have you know achieved some kind of product product market fit and so now you're able to kind of roll out and you're ready to scale you know this product market fit should definitely be seen in your KPIs and metrics you know with a strong growth strategy and the right team in place. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, just start really early, focus on building relationships first and be sure that your venture is actually at a place where it's ready to scale its series A. All
0: right, that's good advice, thank you. Uh, let's move on a little bit to your expertise in financial modeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll play the first time founder that is not very financially <laughs> literate. So. Let's say I have no background in finance, nor accounting, nor am naturally am I naturally quantitative in my thinking. How can I start to build my financial model for my startup? Mm-hmm. Take me from zero to one <laughs> in this process
1: to your first million. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, John, and great great question, of course. Um, so I, I would start kind of before that, and you know, to 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 sort of it's it's really important why you are actually building a financial model and you know this differs really from stage to stage so if you're a a early stage startup you know meaning pre seed to seed the main reason or the main motivation um, for the creation of such a financial model is to showcase that your idea and your business model can actually become profitable at a point in time and will be able to kind of carry on operations without the need of external capital Know, at a certain time down the road, your, your main task there will be to actually portray your business model in a quantitative form. And, you know, the, the beauty of that is that you are able to uncover your most important value levers for your business model. You know, for example, let's say that, that you're a first time founder, you're wanting to build some kind of B2C venture with, uh, which relies heavy on marketing activities. Um, so now while building your financial model, your task will be to actually model that marketing funnel, um, in your financial model, you know, in order to see how many customers you would be able to generate with a certain marketing budget on a monthly basis. Um, you know, here you would be able to see how many customers you would gain. If you would be able to improve, I don't know, for example, your conversion rate during the first funnel from just 1% to 2%, you know, just by kind of those simple, small experience you are able to uncover the most important value levels of your business um, you know it's also very very important to kind of see the correlation of revenue growth and certain cost factors you know same of course goes for team growth um, to see if your idea is actually scalable um, so meaning if you're you know a, a pre-c2c venture you don't have to worry about creating some kind of accounting compliant financial model um, you know your financial model is not there to be a prediction of the future. You're not to be able to predict how much revenue you will be able to achieve in the month of March in 2026. You know it's all about uncovering these value levers, exploring the scalability of your business model, and you know actually finding out how much funding you will need to actually get that product to to market.
0: All right, that makes sense. Very good advice as well. Yeah. Um, Okay, and, and this hypothetical first-time founder, he goes on Google, he Googles uh, a template for financial mar- modeling for my startup, and he finds several options. Uh, they're out there. Um, what should I keep in mind uh, that might be missing from the, some of these default templates?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so like you said, there, there are numerous you know, right now, but however, very usable financial model templates out there. You know it's just important to to keep in mind that most of these models were usually designed for one specific business model you know such as a b2b SaaS, and they often do not leave a lot of room for adaptation and individualization right so just basically make sure that you download many templates and just basically pick pick and build you know just pick up the structures and streams which are applic- applicable to your idea and business model um you know do not just kind of work with the first template you stumble upon and make sure to look at multiple templates and then kind of you know build your own template through all these different templates um you know the most important um kind of outputs of such a financial model are basically your profit and loss statement the balance sheet and the cash flow statement um most of the time in these templates you will most likely only find a profit and loss statement, since it's the most intuitive to understand. However, a balance sheet and a, especially a cash flow statement, if you want to, if you want to see how much funding you will actually need, are also outputs which are really, really valerant, uh, relevant, also for early stage investors. So just make sure to have a look at multiple templates, and just you know pick them apart and build your own template from that.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Um... So I've found the templates, I've, I've filled them in a bit with information about my startup, and let's say I come to you at Trust Venture and I say, Constantine, uh, I'm ready to, to raise some money, this is my, my financial model, I've got it all ready, and you look at it and say, well, investors really want to see X. Is there something that's usually missing from what founders bring to you that, that you guys advise to include? in that financial model? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. No, great question. I mean, you know, in in addition to kind of the the classic KPIs like revenue growth, user growth, free cash flow and kind of liquidity de- development um, investors, you know, look in particular at your ability to basically quantify your business model in a comp- comprehensible and structured way. Um, so, like I said, you know, a financial model, if you're an early stage startup, um serves as a kind of virtual recreation of the business and thus you know showcases the founders assessment of the business cases primary relationships and dynamics you know being just prepared to discuss and defend these dynamics models into such a plan is often a determining factor for closing the deal you know investors will have a very very close look at the key assumptions of your model and how you came to those exact assumptions um you know since this is often the basis of your financial model due to just missing historic data to rely on um, you know one example um one of your key assumptions it, is that you will able will be able to price corporates at I don't know 50 dollars MRR, while having a conversion rate of roughly let's say two percent throughout your sales funnel um you know what an investor will then do is um okay you know what happens if that price of 50 dollars drops down to 45 and what if that conversion rate you know does not involve how we how we expect it but land somewhere at the one to 1.5 1. percent you know will the business still be able to grow and become profitable so just you know really making sure that while you're building a financial model you're also building that financial model for a third person for an outsider and so just make sure that you know you can basically send that financial model to your grandmother and she will be able to kind of you know get grasp of it and that you can also you know showcase um where all of your assumptions come from and that they're not just you know typed in in your financial model and nobody knows you know what kind of your thought process they were so you know that's the the main thing that we see when when we talk to you know first-time founders pre-seed founders um it's just, you know, keep in mind that you're building the financial model for investors um, in the first place and that, you know, you are always sitting there thinking, okay, if I just send this email out without any comments, will they will they be able to kind of, you know, get into my head and, you know, see what my thoughts were with, with my key assumptions.
2: And awesome. Thank you. And, and go ahead. Counsel. Yeah. And I bet, John, uh, while you are building your first uh, startup, you might probably need to cover a lot of things by yourself like marketing sales uh, i don't know building support team and all this stuff and keeping this in mind uh, is i no wonder anyone can make mistakes on this way especially when it comes to finance this mistake will cost you like uh, quite a lot in the future so my question would be uh, can you advise and maybe comment on the most like common pitfalls anyone like mm-hmm. no, experience no. on this way Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, of course, I mean, the, you know, main and again, the biggest pitfall that we see is the the points I talked about with the assumptions and just making it understandable for a third party and also making it thus, you know, understandable for yourself, because once you're kind of building that financial model, you know, you might be working on it for a couple of months and then, um, you know, you maybe want to look at it a couple of months down the road and then even yourself, you know, you can't really, you know, get to the the ground of it you know what you were thinking when when you you know typed in this assumption that assumption and so again you know that's a point I really want to stress is to just make sure that it's really understandable for an outsider to understand um another common pitfall is um you know not showing and calculating all relevant outputs that I've talked about earlier being you know the profit and loss statement the balance sheet and the cash flow statement you know like I said founders you know focus most of the time only on the profit and loss statement since it's the most kind of intuitive thing to calculate however you know a balance sheet especially if you're an asset heavy venture um it's just as equally important and the cash flow statement then you know is really really relevant because the operative cash flow is one of the most important KPIs that investors are are wanting to look at because that showcases okay how much cash flow will you be able to Provide or produce on a monthly basis without any external effects, you know. And that together of course then with the cash balance development, meaning how much funding are you are you going to need, you know, in the next couple months, are really the most important outputs. So again, the kind of you know, assumptions, making them understandable for third party and just calculating all the relevant outputs being profit and loss statement, balance sheet and cash flow statement.
2: John, did you make notes for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well,
0: I'm recording this, so uh, I'm going to have everything to look through later when I when I launch my big dream startup. All right, uh, let's get into, I guess we talked a little bit about this before, but uh, do you think this venture winter, this slight downturn, depending on how you look at it, will change anything about financial marketing? You know, it's, the big headline stories uh, seem to be about late-stage companies, I know in the US and in Europe, there were some really highly valued like food delivery companies mm-hmm. um, that were basically just burning a ton of money to, to gain market share. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that going to extend across other industries? Is, what do you think? Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that goes back to kind of the, the mantra I just mentioned before, this kind of growth at all costs, mantra, right, we, which we've, we, we've seen, you know, with all the quick commerce companies emerging and, you know, that's something that will definitely slow down in the next couple of months. Um, you know, like I said, we see a lot of VCs, you know, asking for meetings with the portfolio companies about adjusting the business plan a little bit, you know, taking in maybe a little bit of slower revenue growth, however, through that maximizing your runway. And um, so, you know, that's definitely a, a trend which we will see, you know, not only months, but also maybe a couple of years down the road. Um, and you know regarding valuations which have just been going crazy the the last couple of months and years um, uh, you know that's something that that will also change you know in the vc market valuations especially if you're kind of early you know maybe until series A is not something which is calculated throughout the financial model but more so of a kind of momentum thing you know if you're the hottest startup out and you have basically all these VCs just waiting to, to invest into you. You know, you can just play with your valuation as you like. You know, they will not, you know, discuss it or won't raise any eyebrows. Um, you know, so the, the multiples, revenue multiples will definitely go down. And um, yeah. All right, uh, let's
0: pivot a little bit away from the money side. And when you advise early stage startups uh, to, who are talking with their first investors, what do you advise them to look for Um, outside of just the the amount of money that they're investing Mm -hmm. are there other factors to consider when partnering with these they could be angel investors or early-stage VCs or accelerators
1: I mean you know since these investors will probably be the first bigger investors that we that you will get into your cap table and there you know numerous factors to account for I think the first one and most important one it's just the kind of personal chemistry and fit that you have with the investor. You know, you are engaging in a very, very long-term commitment by bringing these investors on board, and you will spend a lot of time with them throughout your throughout your journey. Um, so just you know, make sure that you also connect on a personal level. Um, another factor is, of course, you know, the investors' investment focus and thus their expertise, which they bring to the table. Um, you know, you can ask yourself if they solely invest into your industry and business model? Or do they, uh, you know, and thus have a strong expertise there um, and also a strong network there, which you will then be able to attain? Or, you know, are they very opportunistic investors, you know, very holistic investors? And are you just one of the few investments in that sector? Thus, you know, bringing that um, such a big network with them. And I think the third and last um, criteria is of course their fund size you know will they be able to do multiple follow-up investments do they have some kind of you know time pressure regarding their exits you know is their fund size almost over and you know once they invest into you will they try to push you towards the exit route in the next couple of years um so these are the the three factors which we always look for in, in investors and when, when we are almost uh, down to signing a term sheet
2: Do you know any kind of maybe red flags that any founder should keep in mind, like uh, searching for investors? Mm -hmm. I mean, like uh, what should stop them uh, even thinking about working with some specific investor?
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that we also always do is just ask for reference calls, right? You know, you can look at these portfolio companies of all the major VC funds. And what we do is we, that we look for ventures who are in a, kind of the same industry kind of have the same business model or kind of you know the the same size as you and have been invested into at the same stage that that you're in and then you know just shoot them a message ask for a quick reference call and um, you know talk to them how have they experienced been have they been helpful at all did they just invest the money and then you know when on vacation for multiple years and you didn't even heard of them anymore you know these are kind of all factors that that you can definitely do and we also just, uh, suggest to actually, you know, invest some time into actually researching your investor. When you raised
2: already VC funds, uh, for for example, right? uh, I bet that there there should be some kind of uh, um, strategy of uh, after investments, uh, like things you have to keep in mind, what you need to do. Uh, And uh, as far as I know, there is such a strategy after investment strategy. Maybe you can elaborate Mm -hmm. a little bit about this as well.
1: No, of course, of course, I mean, there are basically two main expe- aspects which become relevant when you've just raised your first VC money. You know, the first one is the implementation of some kind of controlling measures. And the second one, probably the most important one, is the implementation of investor relationship management. And, um, you know, talking about the kind of first one, the controlling measures and um, controlling is a key measure in order to actually track your company's month to month, to month development and you'll know, see where there are kind of deviations to the plan which you've you know originally created in order to then implement um, measures to go to go against it um you know the second one and like I said definitely most important one um is the implementation of an investor relationship management you know a lot of success in entrepreneurship is kind of knowing how to help your investors help you, you know the, the the founder the ceo needs to give their investors the right information at the right time to just allow them to to contribute effectively you know this happens most clearly through investor updates and board meetings um, you know here the key is to create some kind of consistent readable and scalable communication with stakeholders meaning um a consistent communication form you know rather than being some kind of annual management letters, quarterly board meetings monthly investor updates through emails you know etc um you know readable in form of the creation of a some kind of template and your communication always following the same structure um, so that the investor you know knows where he or she can find the respective information which is relevant for them and now of course scalable meaning that you know 90 plus percent of your communication and interaction with stakeholders should be in some, in some type of scalable form such as emails group meetings you know so that you don't have to talk to every single investor one on one but rather you know aggregating all the investors bringing all their knowledge expertise network together in one room and then just you know really really transparently and honest and trust based and, um, you know, communicate the, the good developments, but most importantly, also the bad developments so that they are actually able to, to help you, you know, because these are, you know, one of the most experienced guys in venture capital in the startup scene. Um you know, it's, these guys have looked at, I don't know, hundreds of portfolio companies. Um, so the chance is pretty high that they've encountered the, the problem that you're facing right now once before. Um you know, so it's just all about having a very trust-based, very honest, very transparent relationship with their investors so that they are able to help you in their in their most effective way.
2: There's quite a lot of things uh, founder has to keep in mind like while working on this investment part. And do you think it makes sense maybe uh, to hire some co-founder who can cover all this uh, while you're like working on the product development, for example, mm-hmm. or maybe uh, like approaching some companies like Trust Venture, also could be an option or maybe approaching this type of companies could be a better option on a later stage Uh, what would you like suggest
1: i mean you know this this differs again from stage to stage i think fundraising investor relationship management will always be um some kind of you know c level founding team job no question about it because you know when you're pre-seed seed you know the investors invest into your company you know they invest into you most most importantly and so you know also when we advise ventures on fundraising rounds it's not us communicating with the investors it's not us pitching you know their company to investors and but you know that's that's just a founding team as ceo's job however the kind of back office part of it meaning creation of financial models pitch decks research of suitable investors due diligence management and all that good stuff and kind of the back office work Know, that can be delegated you know quite nicely and quite easily because fundraising will be a full-time commitment for any founder for you know maybe six to eight months and not a lot of um founders especially in the early days you know when they're really really kind of product heavy loving the product loving the vision. you know they don't want to talk to investors they don't want to do fundraising for six to eight months on a full-time basis however you know when you also look and down the road you know into the kind of development of a of a ceo role and um, you know once you're kind of a late stage meaning series B, C, D startup the main role of a ceo will be to do fundraising and do investor relationship management you know that's all you will do that's all that you're here for and the rest will then kind of you know take care of itself however like i said kind of the front runner in those topics will always be the founding team and um, the back office work can then be delegated quite quite nicely you know just like at the after investment or the investor relationship management sorry um you know all the documentation behind that all the emails all the monthly reporting documents showcasing your financial growth and all that good stuff you know that's stuff that that can be done you know by us by trust venture um however the communication and the relationship building that's something that cannot be outsourced no way
0: Yeah, that's a very comprehensive look at investor relationships. I was I had a question around that since you're um, part of the EU ecosystem of startups. Are there sort of uh, cultural differences that come up? Um, Just for example, if there's a founder from the UK, a London based startup that comes to you and says, I want to expand into the German market because Mm -hmm. I think it's promising for my product. I think it would help us grow. Are there any sort of cultural differences they should be aware of in terms of how an investor uh, in in Germany would want to be treated? Want to have that relationship maintained Mm -hmm. positively? Mm
1: -hmm. No, great question, Um, but I don't think that there are. um, You know, just just due to to the fact that investors nowadays are just so international, and you know, at a German VC, you know, the majority of you know people there are actually German you know they're f- people from the US from from the UK you know just from everywhere because these investors also invest into these kind of markets and do not only invest into the German market um so I wouldn't say that there are some kind of you know cultural clashes um when you talk about investor relationship strategy especially you know not in Europe or the US you know maybe if you look at kind of the Asian Pacific market of course you know there just be some some cultural differences that you will account for Um, However, you know, if you're a startup founder and you have some investors from the US, you have some investors from London, from Berlin, um, there won't be a need to, I don't know, create different emails for, you know, all these kind of investors, create different documents. And, you know, that won't be the case, no.
0: All right. Good to know. Let's see, a while ago on Twitter, I saw this line, what got you $1 million in VC funding won't get you $10 million. Founders need to be ready to evolve. Mm -hmm. Uh, I assume that that you've worked with some founders that have gone through this evolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does it look like uh, in practical terms and how does it affect sort of operations and fundraising at a startup?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, the kind of this, goes back to the different kind of metrics that, enlo- that investors look for while evalu- evaluating a pre seed deal or a series a deal now when you raise about you know one million from your first vc round um investors you know they only look at market, founding team business model and all these kind of qualitative factors um, you know however all of these investors know that maybe the most the more details aspects such as kind of your UX or just your overall product you know these will definitely change throughout your journey you know there's a saying that goes a good team will never create a bad product so you know they mostly look at these very qualitative factors um, and especially you know the founding team being definitely the most important one you know looking at raising 10 10 million plus in your skills AOB investors will look at these more quantitative metrics that I've talked about before you know, such as traction, month to month growth, revenue growth, and also the, you know, kind of team, you know, your management and executive team, not just the founders, your cap table, your go to market strategy, your ability to kind of attract a maintainer and maintain talent, you know, do you already have some kind of ESOP set up in your capture and just, you know, these very kind of detailed factors which will make a huge difference down the road. Um, you know, founders, should definitely know that before looking to raise 10 million plus, um, because they will also, you know, need to collect the data over the years. You know, once you've collected your 1 million, you will all already need to know or keep in your mind, you know, what kind of data the investors are wanting to see, you know, once you get to the series AB level and you want to raise 10 million plus, Um, you know, so just kind of know what kind of, kind of data you need to collect over the years in order to give, The investors that information that they need and look for, you know, just so that you don't have to do all this work, kind of backwards, and also, you know, the investors chains, you know, VCs that will invest into your one million rounds, you know, probably won't go into your ten million round, but there will then, you know, be some later stage uh, VCs in that. You know, you have a lot of VCs investing only in pre-seed and seed rounds, but you also have investors which are only investing into Series A and B rounds. However, the kind of duration of the fundraising process doesn't really change. Um, you know, the, the only kind of step which will take a little bit longer time is the due diligence, of course, because there's just a lot more data to actually look on for investors. You know, if you're raising your first round, you know, you don't have a lot of historic financial data or legal documents or whatever that investors, you know, will have to scan and look through you know that changes once you're at a serious serious a round however the kind of the kind of process as in you know the kind of different steps that you take once you're in the fundraising round they don't change it's just the the data and the kind of key metrics that investors look for
0: all right Thank you for those details. And if anybody who's watching wants a really good overview of Constantine's thoughts on the financial aspects of their startup, he has a great Medium article. We'll put a link in the show notes about how to set up the financial department of your venture, as you said. All right, guys, uh, I wanted to give you a chance at the end since you did meet at a conference in person at Hub Berlin earlier this year. Uh, Do you have any upcoming events that you're going to be at that you would like to tell the audience about now? Maybe they would love to meet you in person as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm
2: I'm planning to be uh, at the conference here in in, uh, Lisbon. It's a Web Summit. It's uh, an annual conference. Uh, It's going to happen here in the beginning of November, and uh, I'll be happy to meet anyone who is open.
1: Yeah, I will, awesome. I will also be in, in Lisbon at the, at the Web Summit in, in November and nice. I, will, I will also be in Munich at the Bits and Pretzels event, which is kind of one of the biggest startup events here in Germany in, I think, about a month. I think it's right before the, the Web Summit in Lisbon. Um, so I will definitely be there as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Constantine. Uh, did you have any other questions to add
2: before we wrap up?
1: right really, i mean just thank you guys for for the the great talk i'm really happy to to get it to get to exchange some ideas and thoughts with you guys
2: yeah no more questions from me as well just uh, like a uh, huge thanks for being with us like sharing all these details and I, I hope that we're gonna build some a lot of more and more meaningful things together like we already started doing
0: For sure. Yeah. And I look forward to hopefully sharing some of the work that you do with our accelerator startups. Maybe we can pull out some examples of great early stage financial modeling for other founders to learn from in the future. So thank you so much, guys. Have a lovely week and enjoy your time in Lisbon at Web Summit.
2: Thank you, John. Thank Thank you. you Thank you, John.